This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you. Just uh, Larry, we mentioned last week, lost his sister and uh, said goodbye this week. So um, sorry to pick on you, Larry, but uh, today we begin a new series of messages that I'm calling Wise Up. And let me tell you why I'm particularly excited about this series. Because over the next two to three weeks or so, or so, I don't have my lessons fully planned out, but <clears throat> during this series, we will over and over ask one question that I hope, that I believe will become a centerpiece for all of our decision-making in the future. And this question is, is a question that can save us a lot of time, it can save us a lot of money, it can save us a lot of heartaches. It can save us a lot of headaches, as well as save us a lot of tears. So, if it can save us heartaches, money, headaches, tears, it's probably a question that we need to know. And In fact, if we could go and superimpose this question over the single biggest regret in our lives we probably would have been able to completely avoid that season of regret. Now, now the scripture that leads us to this one question powering this series is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And if you brought your Bible, you can turn there. Or if you have the U version on your mobile device, you can click there. Or if you don't have either of them, you can pretend that you have it memorized. Now today, as we've done several times over the last few weeks, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul. And, and, and I know we study Paul's words quite a bit around here. Why? Well, one, he wrote close to half of the New Testament. If, if you study the New Testament, there's a 50% chance that Paul's words will somehow find their way into the picture. But, but secondly, the Apostle Paul's testimony gives added authority to what he has to say. Because Paul steps onto the pages of history, not as a Christian, not as someone that was raised in a Christian home, as many of us were. Rather, Paul steps onto the pages of history as a cynic, as a skeptic. But, but his skepticism went beyond just having doubts. He felt that Christianity was a sham, kind of a, 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 a knockoff Jewish false cult. In fact, he had such a problem with uh, with Christianity, that his life's goal was to eradicate Christianity. So because during that time there wasn't the separation of church and state, the leaders of that day authorized him to arrest Christians, put them in jail, kill them. He wanted to make sure that Christianity didn't make it out of the first century. But you remember that after literally seeing the light, you know, we say well, he saw the light. Well, he literally saw the light a light that came out of the heavens on the road to Damascus. In a single day, he went from trying to get rid of followers of Jesus to becoming one. Now, this wasn't a process. You know, sometimes for us, it's a process. You know, God begins to work on us, and, and obviously when we come to know Christ, it's, it's instantaneous, but it, it takes a while to be convinced. But this was not a process that took weeks or months. Rather, in one day, he went from Let's hunt Christians down and arrest them and kill them to let's help people realize that Jesus is the only way. And so that radical spiritual about face is what partially is partially what makes Paul's words so powerful. 
In fact, this week I was trying to think of a comparison that would help us put this radical change in perspective. And let me uh, try to put it in this way to help us understand how radical of a change this was. Since we've come through a bitter political campaign, and by the way, there's no hidden agenda in this illustration, okay? No subliminal message. Don't read anything into it. But, but let me just use the toxicity of this campaign to illustrate how huge it would be for Paul to switch over from fighting against Christ to following Christ. This is kind of Republican territory. This is really probably a bad illustration, but I'm going to give it anyway. Since this is Republican territory, let me start out by picking on those of you that are staunch Republicans. And many of you are. Some of you feel that you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian, and no amens allowed here, okay? But let's imagine that on the way to work one day, all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, a super bright flash of light shines down upon you and kind of stuns you, temporarily blinds you, so much that you have to pull off to the side of the road. Well, while you're there trying to process your thoughts, it was like you had a moment of revelation. Remember, this is just an illustration, okay? But it dawned on you that that flash of light was a sign from God, and, and you began to have that sense that God was saying to you that you should switch political parties, and that you as a staunch, dyed-in-the-wool Republican should now become a Democrat. Do I have your attention yet? Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, Joe, that's impossible. You know, switching from a Republican to a Democrat is a miracle that even God couldn't make happen in our lives. And that's probably true for some of you. I think there are some people that are more committed to their political party than they are to their Lord. But anyway, not, not only did that flash of light cause you to go from Republican to Democrat, but through that experience, when it was finally safe for you to drive and get to work, you felt it your mission to convince everyone else at work that, you, that they also needed to become Democrats. And you let it be known that for the rest of your life, your main mission would be to turn Republicans into Democrats. Now, of course, we can, we, we can turn that illustration around to where those of you that are Democrats, you know, the, the, the flash of light caused you to become a Republican. You went on a lifelong campaign to turn everybody else into Republican. And, and I know, again, that's probably a really bad illustration right now with the bitterness that is still in the air. But, but seriously, for some of you to switch political sides would require, require a major act of God. To which Paul, the Apostle Paul, at that time Saul, would say, that's exactly what it took for me to switch sides and become a follower of Jesus. It took a major act of God. Because Paul could not have been debated into Christianity, which, by the way, for those of you that are a little bit smarter than the rest of us, you think you can maybe argue or debate someone into becoming a Christian, remember that intelligence and being persuasive with words alone never changes hearts. You may win the argument, but in so doing will probably lose the person. It, it takes the Spirit of God quickening, and, and that's a term that we find in the Bible, which simply means to make alive. That the Spirit of God has to quicken our hearts and make us alive. But all of that to say that when you read after a man that did not grow up following Jesus and had nothing but hatred towards followers of Jesus, when this man turned to Jesus and followed him with equal zeal, 
You just kind of automatically pay attention to what he has to say. So as we unpack his words this morning, which were inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul's radical conversion to Jesus ought to cause us to really listen and take note. Now, the passage that we will read today was a letter that got labeled Ephesians. Do you know why? Simply because Paul starts out the letter by saying, to the saints at Ephesus. But even though the Ephesians might have been the primary recipients of this letter, we also happen to know that the letter was circulated to other churches as well, churches that Paul had started around the Mediterranean Rim. But also because all Scripture is profitable to us, this letter was written to those of us in Missouri, and for those of you that are watching in another state online, uh, it's written for us. Now, in this letter to the saints at Ephesus, Paul is telling Christians how to live their lives. And as I was preparing this lesson, I, I, I took a moment and just kind of sped read the entire book or the letter of Ephesians when I was in college, or actually it was before I got to college, I, I took a speed reading course. Uh, you know, at that time, it was a big thing to do book reports. And uh, so I, I wanted to be able to just kind of fly through a book and get the gist of it without reading it word for word. So while I was working on this message, I took a few moments and sped read Ephesians, which isn't that long. And what I found in this letter, and what I found in this letter was that Paul talks about a lot of practical aspects of Christian living. He talks about being humble. He talks about being patient with each other. Which is really hard, isn't it? It's hard being patient with me sometimes when I ramble and bore you to tears. But Paul says, be patient with me. Cut me some slack. And I'll try to do the same for you. And then Paul talks about staying unified as a body of believers. And, and, and you know what? I even think he meant after a political election. He also talks about sins that were common in those days, which incidentally are sins that are common today. He talks about sins such as immorality greed, idolatry. And, and one problem that the Ephesian church evidently had was brought out by one interesting statement. Paul said, don't let there be, and some of you need to listen to this, don't let there be any obscene or foolish talk or coarse or uh, coarse joking in your conversation. So, so we don't have details on this, but but evidently there at the church at Ephesus, there must have been a problem with some of the church people telling off-color jokes or saying bad words or making suggestive comments or, or just saying things that were kind of coarse or inappropriate. So, so Paul in this letter to the Ephesians was, was giving them practical advice for daily living, saying, you need to live like you're a child of God. Don't, don't act like the world. You're supposed to be different from the world, not in a weird way, but in a good way. So that, that's kind of the background. Let's jump into our scripture. And at the end of the first verse, we will read, that we will read in verse 15, we will find the question that will anchor this series as well as the question that I hope will become part of our daily lives from here on out. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then. Be very careful then. Let's make a quick stop. The Greek term careful 
is actually a visual term that means to look around. So try to picture in your mind going through a very dangerous jungle in South America where there are poisonous snakes as well as anacondas that could wrap themselves around you and crush the life out of you. Maybe leeches that are waiting to attach themselves to you. Maybe jaguars and trees that could pounce on you. And and in, in some of the jungles in the country of my birth, Bolivia, where I lived nearly 20 years, they have these bright, colorful, but very poisonous frogs. They're not like those ugly, fat toads. And I guess you're not supposed to use the word fat today, but they're not like those pleasantly plump toads that you find here in our area. (laughs) These frogs are beautiful, aren't they? But oh, so very poisonous. But Paul is saying, be very careful. Look around. Look, Look up. Look beside you. Be vigilant. And then he says, how you live. And the word live is actually the word walk. Some Bible translations use the word walk. So, so be careful where you walk. Be careful where you step. Look up. Look around. And then he provides the backdrop, backdrop for the question that will anchor the series. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now these six words lead us to this Powerful three-word question that you will hear over and over throughout the next couple of weeks. Here is the question. Is it wise? The question is not, is it legal or illegal? The, The question is not, is it moral or immoral? Even though those questions have their place. But the question that I think at times should even supersede those questions of, is it legal or is it moral, is the question, is it wise? Because there are some things that are not illegal, but they're not wise. That there are some things that are not immoral, they're not wise. There are some things that are not sinful, but they're not wise. There are some purchases that are not wrong, they're not wise. There are some relationships that are not horrible, they're just not wise. There are some things you can do and not get in trouble for, but they're not wise. Paul also reinforces this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is wise. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Again, there are some things that the law of the land may allow. There are some things that the laws of the Bible, you know, the Ten Commandments may allow. There are some things that the laws of your conscience may allow. There are some things that the laws or the rules of your school may allow. There are some things that the laws or the rules of your church may not condemn. But to do them may not always be wise. So Paul says, look look around, look down. Look up, pay attention, be wise, and then he continues on in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Now, the word opportunity in the original language of the New Testament in the Greek is 
is a word that is a reference to time. Paul is saying, you have a limited amount of time. Your, your greatest treasure, your most irreplaceable asset is your time. So, so be careful. Look around. Look ahead. Look back. Make good use of your time. And then look at this interesting phrase, because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul writes this to the Ephesian church that was living in a time much like ours. We talked about the, you know, the immorality, the, the idolatry, the greed, people, church people telling off-color jokes, saying bad words. And, and Paul was saying, you live in a time that if you would just kind of lift up your feet and drift with the current of culture you would end up in a place you don't want to go. You know, if you would just lift up your feet and, and move with the current relationally of culture, you would end up somewhere relationally where you don't want to go. You know, if you would just pick up your feet and, and move with the flow of culture financially, you would look back and realize, this is not where I wanted to be financially. You know, when you think about your, the relationship with your kids and relationship with your husband, your wife, when you think about your profession and what culture is accepting and prom promoting, Paul says, the days in which we live are evil and, and there, there are currents that are slowly and subtly taking us in directions that eventually none of us will want. I think that most of us have a, a story similar to this one here, but back when our girls were young, we... You know, we went to the beach uh, for a vacation, and, you know, the girls had some, uh, you know, one of those little kind of toy inner tubes that they were on, and they were out, and Faith and I were just up there. Um, we weren't out in the water, maybe not very far, and we happened to look out there, and, and, and the girls were out there probably 100 yards or so, and they were kind of waving, and you couldn't hear anything, and... Um, they were being pulled out by the undertow, the undercurrent. And, you know, you parents, a lot of you have been through that, and just a moment of panic sets in. What do you do? And, you know, especially for, for, for two parents that uh, at best our swimming would be described as dog paddling, or that's probably even being generous uh, with that description there. Um, and, and so there we found ourselves, you know, it was kind of drifting to the side, and we're running down the beach there just trying to keep uh, in contact with them. And, and uh, you know, they were fighting for all they could to just get back up, and slowly but surely they, they finally got, got control and were able to get up there. But, you know, th there was just something that was so, so scary, and it was so subtle, and they didn't even realize it was happening until they were almost too far so consequently, when it comes to daily life, be careful. You can't simply go with the flow of culture. You can't simply go with the current of times. You can't simply go with what is popular. You can't simply, listen, you can't even simply go with what other church people are doing. You can't simply go with what is accepted as the norm because Paul says the days are evil and the current of culture will subtly, will slowly take you where you should not go. You must live as wise, not unwise. And then Paul gets really close to 
to those of us who claim to be Christians, he says this in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish. So Paul is writing this to church members. He's saying, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, don't be foolish. And, and, and here's kind of what I wonder. I wonder if Paul was getting in a little dig for those of us who tend to look for loopholes. Which, by the way, we all do that. We, we try to excuse our wrongdoing. We say, well, yeah, I, I, I know the Bible says that, but. Yeah, I know my parents asked me not to do that, but, but they're just overprotective, old-fashioned, out of touch. I, I know the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman, but times have changed, and I, I was born that way with those desires, and so that must be of God. Or, or I know that sex outside of marriage is wrong, but it's not like we're hurting anybody else. It's consensual, and yeah, I, I, I know I shouldn't be smoking or drinking or shooting up. It's harmful to my body, but it does calm me down. I mean, God doesn't want me to be a nervous wreck, does he? You know, we look for loopholes and, and justifications for our wrongs. So, so the Apostle Paul, because he knew how the Ephesians would think and, and he knew how we would think here in Cedar County, he says, don't be foolish. Be wise. And then listen to this word, but, B-U-T. Now, now the word but is a, is a very interesting word. It, it, it can be used as a preposition, and that, that's a word that kind of expresses a relationship to another word in the clause. On occasion, the word but, and I was studying this this week, can even be used as an adverb, you know, qualifier expressing relation, uh, you know, to a time or circumstance. But typically, the word but, as it is here in this case, is a conjunction, which just means it's a word used to join ideas together. And in the Greek language, there, there are two and, and maybe three words that are translated into English using the word but. Paul uses the very strongest one here. It's like Paul says, look, don't be foolish. Don't look for loopholes. Don't make excuses. Don't do something and pretend that you don't know it was wrong. And, and then Paul says, using the strongest word possible in the Greek, but. And, and this sounds funny. Funny, it was kind of like the preacher that got his foot in his mouth. He 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 said, "But," and I mean a big but. And and of course that got people to snickering, and they lost what he was trying to say. But but it's almost like Paul is saying that he says, "Don't be foolish." But I mean a big but, using the strongest word. But understand what the Lord's will is. Here's what he's saying to us. You know what you ought to do. You, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know that the current of culture will lead to stuff you don't need to be doing. You, you know this, so quit playing games. Quit talking yourselves into, thing, into things you should be talking yourself out of. Quit talking yourself out of things you should be talking yourself into. Face up to what you know God's will is for you. Quit trying to justify yourself when you know it's wrong. And I know we don't have uh, a lot of young people here, but, uh, you know, teenagers, if you're listening online, um, I happen to know simply because long before I became an old man, I was once a teen, believe it or not. And, and I know as a teenager, you can sometimes confuse and talk your parents into a corner. But that doesn't excuse you from obeying the rules. 
And then as adults, you know, you, you can do the same. You know, those of you that have a quick mind, you can sometimes use that to twist things around and justify things, get around the rules. And we, we all can somehow find a loophole and excuse ourselves. But Paul was trying to say that the, the, the question to ask here is not just is it legal or is it illegal or is it biblical or, or not biblical? Is it moral or not moral? The, those questions are okay. But what Paul is trying to get at, once again, to just drive it home is that there are some things that are moral, but they're not wise. There are some things that are legal, but they're not wise. There are some things that are biblical, but they're not wise for you and for me. And so the question that we're going to be hammering home for a, a couple of weeks, and there's a bookmark here just to put it someplace in a prominent place. This is in your, in your bulletin there. Is it wise? Is it wise? Is the relationship wise? Is the purchase you're about to make wise? Is where you're going next weekend? Is it wise? Is, is what you're reading, is what you're watching, listening to the wise thing to read, watch or listen to, is, is what you're drinking the wise thing to drink? Is what you're smoking or chewing or eating or snorting is that wise? Now, for the closing minutes today, it's just so quiet here today. <laughs> we're, we're going to try to make this intensely practical. We're going to look at this question, is it wise, from three different perspectives, three different dimensions. Because when we've gotten ourselves in trouble, it all started not necessarily with a big decision that was Ill illegal or immoral. Rather, it started with a small, unwise, seemingly insignificant decision that led to another small, unwise, seemingly insignificant decision that led to another small, unwise, seemingly insignificant decision. You kind of get the picture here. And over time, the, the current of those small, unwise, seemingly insignificant decisions took us to a place where we ended up in a mess. You say, how do you know, Pastor? I know. I've been there, done that. I know what it's like to follow the progression of a series of small, unwise, and at the time, seemingly insignificant decisions right into a mess. And so let's ask this question from three dimensions. The first dimension is the past. In light of my past, is it wise? Now, we all have a past. We all have behaviors in our past that make us more vulnerable to certain things, whether it's an addiction to substances or an addiction to lust or a problem with spending too much or a problem with being overly critical or kind of a predisposition to depression. We all have past behaviors that make us more vulnerable to certain things. And there are certain triggers that make you more vulnerable to repeating those things. And so in light of your past, in light of my past, is what you're doing wise? You know, the painful truth is that if, if, you don't make adjustments, if I don't make adjustments, history repeats itself. As, as I believe it was John Maxwell once said, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. So in light of your past, you need to ask, is it wise? If you have a past with addictions, it may not be wise for you to go to certain places or hang out with certain people. If you have a past that includes pornography, it may not be wise for you to have an 
even have a smartphone. Is it legal to have one? Yes. Is it immoral to have one? No. But based on the past, because pornography is so easily accessible, it may not be wise for you to have one, not necessarily forever, but maybe at this moment. If you have a problem with being critical or being a gossip, you may need to avoid certain people that lead you to being critical critical and gossiping. If you have a struggle with an addiction to spending and buying, and by the way, that can be an addiction, that there's something about buying that gives you a thrill, momentary thrill. But if you struggle with that, maybe your prime membership or free two-day shipping at Amazon is unwise. And I know what we think. We, we think we can manage outcomes. You know, I can handle it. Yeah, it didn't go well last time, but I've learned my lesson. Besides, I'm stronger now than I was. Yeah, I, I know that he used to beat me up and abuse me, but I won't let that happen anymore. Besides, he's changed. Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. Yeah, I know that I got into deep credit card debt before. I can handle it now. So in light of your past experience... What is the wise thing for you to do if you want the past to stop repeating itself financially, relationally, ask and act on the question, is it wise? The the second perspective is from the now. In, In light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? Well, I I used to do this and it was okay. Well, you're married now. Things have changed. So is it wise now? Well, I used to just charge Christmas gifts and I would pay it off before next Christmas. Okay, but now you have a kid. The budget is tighter. So is it wise? Maybe it's wiser to pay cash and not put yourself in a hardship financially for the next several months. Well, well, Joe, this is a good deal. It's on sale. Okay, but do you really need it? You know, is it wise? Is it good stewardship to buy it right now? But, but I can afford it. That's fine. But just, did you know this? Just because you can afford it doesn't mean that it's wise. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good stewardship just because you have the money. Well, I just went through a tough, tough divorce and it was finalized last week and I'm ready to start my new life and I think I just met him or her. Well, did you know that those a lot smarter than me say that after a divorce you have no business even looking for someone for at least two years? Because you need time to heal. You know, you're not ready. If you rebound in another relationship too soon, you may make another mistake. And So is it wise to pursue another relationship yet? Maybe you need to seek counsel and and make sure that this next marriage is wise. If you don't, history may repeat itself. So in light of your current circumstances, in light of what's going on right now with you financially, right now with what you're trying to get out of debt, with with your health, the fact that your mom's going through a tough time, all of these different things, in light of what's going on right now, is it wise? And maybe uh, the most powerful dynamic aspect of all, in light of my future, what's the wise thing to do? See, most of us are old enough to have 
at some point in our past traded in some things that we now regret. You know, I think we all have a regret about a, an old car that we used to have. Why didn't I keep it? Whenever I started dating uh, Faith, uh, I, I guess a little bit of history. Her, her grandfather was a Ford Motor Company man. He worked there, retired from Ford Motor Company. Her dad worked at Ford Motor Company and retired from there. And so they, they were Ford people, and I was pretty much informed that if I'm going to date Faith, I have to drive a Ford. And I'll remember whenever I bought a car that was not a Ford. And uh, they let me know they didn't like it. And in fact, uh, I was called a black sheep, the black sheep of the family, to which I'm still referred to as the black sheep of the family. I hope it's joking, but I, sometimes I think they're actually serious about that. <laughs> but anyway, all of that to say that Faith, whenever we started dating, she owned a 1980 Mustang. It was a sweet car. And, you know, we, uh, we decided to get married, and, you know, that car was traded in. And, and you know what car we got? A Honda Accord. <laughs> Think of it. Now, I, I like Hondas. I, 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 love, the, I, I love a Honda. I, 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 think, they're, I think they're amazing. They're, they're amazing cars, but Ford Mustang, Honda Accord? And talk about a regret, a regret. And you could echo probably the same thing, an old car that you had, you wish you still had it. What a tragedy it would be to trade your current spouse in for a younger model, maybe with less rust and more bells and whistles, but that new one could have a faulty engine. You know what I mean, don't you? The, the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. What a tragedy it would be to trade in your modest but at least comfortable living within your means lifestyle for something that may be nicer and more glamorous but will provide much more financial stress. You want to be financially secure? Spend within your means. Now, well, let's put this whole thing together. I once was young, and I realize now I'm not. And even though I'm still making plenty of mistakes, let me share what I've learned. Nobody, nobody plans on messing up their life. Nobody. Nobody gets married the first time looking and planning for that second marriage. Nobody looks into their financial future making it a goal to go into bankruptcy. Nobody goes into a healthy relationship looking for a way to make it unhealthy. Nobody plans to wreck and ruin and destroy their lives. So in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your future, what is the wise thing for you to do. 
Here's what I believe. I believe God has called us to live at the level of not what we can get by with, not simply what's legal, not simply what's drifting, just drifting with the current of culture. Rather, God has called us to live in light of God's Word, in light of the Spirit of God directing our footsteps. And so in light of the past, in light of the present, in light of the future, is it wise? So I'm going to give you some homework, okay? I just want us all to start a new habit. For every invitation that comes our way, for every business opportunity that presents itself, for every decision, big or small, for every purchase that we make off of Amazon or anywhere else, ask, is it wise? So teenagers, what you're doing, is it wise? Employers, plant managers, hourly wage earners, is it wise? Husbands, as you go about your work and play, is it wise? Ladies, as you go about your work and play, is it wise? And and one more thing, and then I'm done. If something in you resists the idea of asking this question, is it wise? And if something within you resists doing what is wise, then you've discovered something about yourself. You've discovered that you don't have your own best interest in mind. And more than likely, one day, you will wake up in a place you don't want to be. It may be in your marriage. It may be in your finances. It may be in your friendships. It may be with the law. It may be in your relationship with God. Resisting, asking, and doing what is wise more than likely will take you to to some dumb decisions that you will regret. So, our homework is to make this question the centerpiece for all of our decision-making this week and in the future. Is it wise? God, I know that, uh, at least for me this week, as I studied this uh this kind of violated my personal bubble comfort zone lord i think sometimes we're just stuck on well it's not illegal it's not you know against the bible it's not against the ten commandments and but yeah lord uh, just those series of small insignificant decisions can sometimes just as we go with the flow of culture will end up in a place and in a mess And so, God, I pray that you would help us to to maybe begin some new habits that we would just ask, you know, is is this wise? And, Lord, everything that we do from purchases to relationships to our walk with you, just the way that we talk, the words that we say, God, that we would begin to maybe, as, as the Apostle Paul was writing the the Ephesian church, and he was trying to get them to 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 just ask this question and Lord I pray that maybe we would do the same that the Holy Spirit would lead us that the Holy Spirit would guide us in everything that we do and God we don't want to be caught in the flow we don't want to just kind of lift up our feet and 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 float along with the current relationally in our culture or float along with the current financially or float along with the current spiritually but God I, I and even float along with the current and what we say. Lord, there's some things that church people say and some things that church people do and some places that church people go that we shouldn't go for us. Maybe it's not wrong for them, but for us because of our past and because of our predisposition to certain vulnerable things. 
And God, I pray that you would just help us to be wise in everything that we do, say, act, react. So this week, Lord, I pray that you would give us just the cognizance, give us that awareness, help us to ask, help us to ask and act on it. Is it wise? I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What's the question again? Is it wise? What? You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.